Welcome to Ride Ever Stride. This is episode 46. Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis, a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I'm here once again with Master Horseman Van Hargis right here in Texas. How's it going, Van? Laura, it's going wonderful. I mean, can wait, 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 listen real careful. Hope you didn't hear it. I just jumped up and clicked my heels because it's springtime. That's my favorite time of year. I'm watching blue bonnets pop up, Indian paintbrushes everywhere. Just absolutely love spring. Yeah, I do too. It's my favorite time of year. So what's what's up uh, with Ride Every Stride today? What are we talking about? Well... Today we're going to talk about uh, a question that was sent in to us from one of our one of our better listeners. When I say better, I just mean they tune in all the time and they always send me little comments or questions. And this time they sent in a question about how do you know when you're ready to buy a horse, mm-hmm. and uh, and which I thought was a great question. It sounds very simple, doesn't it? But how do you know when you're ready to buy a horse? Well, here's the thing. Right now, what, what did we just mention? We just mentioned spring. I don't want people to get spring fever and just all of a sudden go buy something, right? So <laughs> yeah, right. we we were kind of talking beforehand. I my answer to the question is when you have lots and lots of money to spend, <laughs> that's when right. you're ready. Exactly. I mean, because there's a little more to it than that. Well, you're right. But you know, the funny thing is the the buying of the horse or the acquiring of the horse. That's the cheap part. It's everything mm-hmm. else. The time, the stress. Sometimes you know, depending on what your situation is. But it takes a tremendous number of resources to actually own and possess a, a horse. Uh, so it's, it's, it's something to really be cautious and think about. It's why, one of the reasons I was so pleased that she asked such a great question. You know, so when do you know when it's time? Well, there's a, there's a billion answers, of course, but I'm just going to kind of go over a few things and a few little options to kind of think about. To me, the actual purchase of a horse is the last thing that I want to think about. I, w- I want to think about some other things. And I want to find out first and foremost, are you truly passionate about the horse? Are you truly passionate about being a part of horses and having them to be a part of your life? Because it's, it is a huge commitment. I mean, you think taking care of Fido is a big deal. Wait until you have a, a horse that weighs about 10 times more than Fido and he, he eats like crazy. And there's a lot of vet bills and the vet bills are pretty expensive and it's a tremendous amount of time. Horses poop more than dogs do. I mean, there's just a lot of st- stuff to think about. So what I recommend to people, how do you find out whether or not you are that passionate about it? So the first thing I recommend to people, Laura, is to to find someplace close to you, whether it be a boarding facility, uh, a therapeutic riding facility, and go volunteer your time at those types of facilities. Volunteer. Tell them what you're thinking. Tell them that you're thinking about buying a horse one day, and you just want to kind of find out if that's the, if that's the right thing for you. And tell them your full story, you know, tell them, Hey, you know, I had a, I had a horse as a kid and had as a great, you know, it was a great time. Of course it was when you were a kid. Cause mom and dad or grandpa was taking care of the darn thing, Yeah. you know, but, but now all of a sudden you've got to think about, do I have the time? Do I have the resources? So those are some ideas that, that, uh, that you can think about is go volunteer somewhere. Find out if you're truly passionate about it when you got to walk behind the darn thing and clean up its poop or, or and, and clean the stall and, and brush it, groom it, do all the things that uh, that smell good about being around horses. At the same time, about the volunteering, 
I think sometimes when you volunteer, it, it kind of opens your, your eyes up to a whole other perspective of horses. It might even make you fall in love with them more when you see, especially if you're volunteering at a therapeutic riding camp and you see the change that the horse is making on other people's lives. But here's the yellow flag. Here's the caution. The horses at therapeutic riding camps are very, very carefully selected. Sometimes the, these riding camps may go through hundreds or maybe even thousands of horses before they select the ones that are so calm, quiet, and docile and easy to be around, easy to maintain. And they're just so heavenly on earth that we can't think that all horses are that way. All horses could be that way, perhaps, but the reality is they're not all that way. So don't be disillusioned when you do volunteer your time at said facilities where those horses are that quiet, that laid back, because they, you may not end up being quite so lucky when you, when you go and acquire your own horse. But, yeah, I mean, if that's the kind of horse that you're going to want, and, and we're sort of getting ahead of ourselves, but if that's the kind of horse you're comfortable being around, you're going to have to be really intentional and patient in seeking the horse that you're going to acquire and probably get some professional help in finding that horse if that's the kind of horse that you want. Exactly. And not just fall in love with something because it's pretty. And then, and I speak from experience here, it's pretty, (laughs) I'm going to take it home and we're going to be, live happily ever after. And that may not be the case. Exactly. Another good thing about it, going and being a volunteer at some facility is that you also get an opportunity to be around other people with those horses. And the, the challenging part is that if you can be around those people and then watch and observe very objectively, don't read a whole lot into it. Don't assume that all horses are this way or that way. Kind of read into only what your eyes show you. In other words, and be very objective. Watch how the folks interact with the horse. Watch how the horse interacts with them. Learn something, in other words, about how you should possibly behave around horses. You'll, it'll help you kind of discern do you like a horse that may be a bit more spirited? Do you like a horse that's a little bit more laid back? Do you like a horse that's challenging? And if you do, do you have that type of personality to rise to the challenge? Or do you just like things easy? And then just like you said, once you kind of make up your mind what kind of horse you like to kind of be around, and then you do consider buying, by all means, take a professional with you. Because that professional is probably going to be a little bit more objective than you are. They're going to try to help you match your attentiveness and and your knowledge and your experience with that horse, because that is so, so keenly important. Because otherwise, you could end up with a horse that has all the greatest potential in the world, but if you don't have a whole lot to offer it, you're never going to help that horse realize that potential. So it's just very important that you get that horse at your level now, and then you can kind of grow together. But I, I want to be very careful when I say grow together. I don't mean grow together. We'll both learn together. I mean grow together in your relationship because it's it's only on the movies to where you you take a green rider and then or a green horse owner and then a green inexperienced horse and you put those two together and they grow up and they learn together. The reality is somebody has got to know more than the other because the horse will very quickly rise or fall to the level of the rider. So if if you're new to the horse business and you're you're new of being around horses, then you want to go and acquire the most experienced horse you possibly can because that horse is going to fall very quickly to your level. Now the cool thing is the better trained and the longer the horse has been trained, the slower that decline to your level will be. The other cool part about that is is that hopefully you're on that learning curve where you're learning more and more every day because of your exposure 
to the horses at these volunteer facilities or whatever the case may be. So you're on an incline as the horse is on a decline. And the, the idea is to meet the horse and, and have those lines intersect as high and as close to that horse's level of training as possible so that the horse doesn't decline all the way to your level. I hope that kind of makes sense. And yeah. a lot of times at our clinics, I actually draw that in a big graph in the dirt, believe it or not, so that people can see the importance of that. But the horse, the good thing to remember is that the horse will either rise or fall to the level of the rider very quickly. But that's just one thing to think about is just think about going and volunteering, being, being a part of, whether it be a, a boarding facility, a rescue facility, a therapeutic riding facility, just go and be around horses and then observe the amount of time and effort that it takes. Would you recommend this? I, I think I know the answer, but you know, we're, we're sort of talking as if we're talking to the person who wants to do this. What if you've got a kid, you know, your, your preteen girl uh, daughter is, is horse crazy and, and is begging you to buy a horse and you have the means to do it. And she's coming and saying, daddy, please, I found, you know, I want it, I want it, my own horse. Would you recommend the same thing to them? Have this, your, your child, your kid go and volunteer and spend time doing those things? Absolutely. And especially yeah. before you go buy something. But, yeah. but in the, in the, the primary reason is because, I mean, let's think about it. Kids change their mind a lot. Hey, dad, can I play soccer? You know what? I don't want to play soccer this year. I want to play baseball. I don't want to play baseball either. Hey, dad, can I try out for the boys football team? I mean, the reality is kids change their mind a lot about some of their interests, which is a great thing because they, they, they learn a lot through those different experiences. But we have to realize that buying a horse is buying another living being. It's another creature. It's it's another living being with feelings and, and emotions and, and a tremendous amount of responsibility. And we don't want to just buy the horse and then to find out that little Julie lost, lost interest in it only two weeks into the deal. Now suddenly it's mom and dad's responsibility. So rather than do that, I think it's a great idea to take the children to those other facilities and, and let them volunteer. Even like in our case, we've had we've had parents bring their kids out and say, "Hey, can I just drop him off?" And you just you show him everything about the horse thing as you want. I mean, we want him to really find out what being around the horses is all about. And a lot of times, before we ever let the kids be around the horses, we let them take part in the chores. Let's go clean the water trough. Let's go tr- clean the stalls. Let's go feed the horses. Let's go move the hay. And then suddenly, find man, this horse stuff's hard work. The cool thing is when you get a chance to see those kids who will do whatever it takes and do those chores as quickly and as, as, uh, as diligently as they can so that they can immediately get to that horse. And those are the yeah. kids you know that, you know what, it's not going to be long before mom and dad's going to be buying little junior a horse. I think whether it's a kid or an adult or, you know, some of us grown women who were, you know, loved horses when we were young and we finally reach a certain age and have the means to maybe go buy a horse. And we have this sort of romantic notion of having a horse that we can ride and and do things with. And I, I, I love your idea of volunteering. It it provides, you know, resources for some of these facilities that can use the help, but it also opens your eyes to the reality that the you know going off to ride through the pasture is a very small part of owning a horse there's a whole lot of work that has to be done and it has to be done every single every day, day. Yeah. um yeah. you know when when i want to go on a vacation with my husband we've got to make arrangements for our horses to be cared for they because they're they're not you know you can't just lock them in the barn and go off every day for as long as you own those animals there's a lot of work that's going to be done and so 
volunteering and learning how to do those things and making sure you're prepared to do that, I think it's is a great idea. But suppose you've got somebody that's done the volunteer thing, they haven't been scared off yet. Should they then run out and buy a $10,000 horse? I mean, what's the next step? No, no. to me, Laura, I th- that's another great question. To me, I think the next step is leasing, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Leasing horses has become extremely popular. And there's uh, there's lease agreements that you can get for horses, and sometimes you can just do it with a smile and a handshake, but I really recommend a, a full-blown agreement. But how a lease works is that you find a horse that you really like, and you visit with someone who owns it, and sometimes it could even be at a boarding facility, a trainer, uh, or just a neighbor that's got a really good horse that, that they may not be doing much with. And rather than buying it, you just ask them, can we give you an X amount of dollars down payment on the horse? And then we want to make payments, uh, monthly payments on the horse. And a lot of times it works out large where you make a little small down payment, which is kind of like a rental fee, I guess you could say. And then those monthly payments goes toward the value of the horse. So when you do decide to buy, if you decide to buy, then those payments go toward the purchase of the horse. But in the meantime, you can find out whether or not you and this horse can get along, whether or not your skill level complements the horse, or whether or not this horse is a little bit too much for you to handle. Or maybe the horse is too laid back in what your interest is and what you're, what you're really good at doing or want to do is maybe barrel racing. And the horse doesn't have quite enough juice for that. Well, you can find that out before you make that, that big investment. Because the reality is when professionals are selling horses, professionals tend to get more for the horses. When little Julie buys a horse or, or gets ready to sell a horse because dad bought it for her and, the, and it didn't quite fit, when she gets ready to sell the horse, she's probably not going to get as much for it as what dad had to pay for it. So it, it's, it's oftentimes just a really good investment just to go and do a, a lease. And so you the can, idea you can, of a lease is you're paying monthly for a certain amount of time with the horse each month. You get a certain amount of riding time with that horse. You don't own it unless it's a lease to purchase kind of thing. But but that's the basic gist of how that works. Exactly. And sometimes, depending on who you lease from, a lot of times at, at uh, boarding facilities, for example, for the folks who live either in cities or close to cities uh, and, and you're around a boarding facility, Oftentimes, the boarding facility doesn't want you to even leave with the horse. In other words, the horse stays there on the boarding facility. But ultimately, it's your responsibility if you're paying for the lease. Sometimes, uh, like out here where I am in Victoria, Texas, it's not uncommon for someone to want to pay a down payment, get the horse insured, and meaning whatever, whatever the value of the horse is. Let's just pick a number. Let's say it's a $5,000 horse. Uh, you, you make us a minor down payment, say maybe 10%. And that down payment is oftentimes refundable. So when you return the horse and the horse is in really good order when you return it, you get that deposit back, but you lose all the monthly payments, you know, that, okay. that, that, that you rent the horse. Then you can actually take the horse to your facility, to your home, and you get to care for it at your facility. Cause see, sometimes horses will act really good at home. Then they go to a new environment and it takes them a little while to kind of settle in and that settling in time sometimes freaks people out, you know, because, oh my God, this horse is just going nuts. It's looking for its other buddies. And if you're not the type of leader that will step to the plate and be that horse's leader and be that horse's buddy uh, to the point where the horse really respects you, then it may be seeking out the comfort of its buddies back at the facility. And it may be a little bit more than what you can handle. And as a result, you just think that, man, I just don't think this horse is going to be a good fit for me. And then you can take it back. But but the leasing is a great option for people. I think I think 
especially for new horse owners, I think it's a, a really good option to do before you actually go spend the cash to buy one. Okay. And so, you know, we're going through this process. The question really that started all of this is how do you know if you're ready to own a horse? But it kind of goes into if if you think you are going to, it, whether lease or buy a horse, what are the things you want to consider while you're going through this process of trying it out by volunteering and doing all of that? What are What are the things you should think about in deciding whether you're ready to make that investment? You just have to ask yourself if you're that committed. Does it does it sound as romantic now, now that you've gotten some poop under the fingernails and, and now that you've stayed up long hours? You know, I'm going to mention something else here that some folks don't think about. The majority of our horse owners today are women. And when, a, when, when, a, when the women now go and get really involved with a horse and they realize the amount of time it takes, you better be really careful about how your husband's going to receive that. And I'm being serious here is that Oftentimes, the horses require so much time that sometimes husbands feel a little bit neglected, and we want to make sure that that's okay. You know, so just be be very careful there. We want to make sure you have the time, make sure you have the cooperation at home, and make sure you have the financial means. And, and just kind of give people an idea of the financial means. If you have your own property, and on, on the end, and Texas A&M did this study several years ago, so I'm sure these numbers are a lot higher now than they were when when I learned these these statistics. But if you do the absolute bare minimum for a horse, in other words, feed it, give it hay and grain, water, vet care, deworming, having its feet trimmed regularly, right, all of the all of the just the absolute bare minimum things. And again, this was several years ago, you're gonna spend at least nine hundred dollars a year just in the care alone. That's over and above the cost of the horse. So you just want to make sure that you've got that sort of disposable income month in, month out before you make that commitment. Yeah, and I would think, I mean, you know, the expense, the the calculus of whether you can afford a horse or not is is one of two things. You're either going to be putting time into this horse or money, uh, you know, and some of both. But I mean, if you're going to have the horse on your property, unless you're wealthy enough to have a staff who takes care of it for you, you're going to be getting up every morning before work and feeding and watering, and you're going to be going out every evening after work and feeding and watering. You're going to be doing all those things and making arrangements for the vet to, to care for them and the, the farrier and all those things. Or if you have more money than time, you can invest that money. You can board the horse somewhere else where somebody else does all the work and you just go you know, ride the horse when you want to. Personally, I think you're kind of missing out on a lot of the the fun of owning a horse if you choose that way. But if, again, if you have more time than money, I guess that's an option. Absolutely. Very well said. And, and let's face it, a lot of folks do that. I mean, when I was training horses, a lot of times for competition, we, I ran across that, that people would bring their horses to me and they wouldn't see them, but maybe once a month after that. But, but when they did see them, they expected them to be in top condition. They expect them to be showing and, and doing really well. But those folks had you know, fairly deep pockets. Other folks would kind of negotiate with me a little bit about how much we were going to split this, you know, split the workload so that um, it'd be a little bit more affordable for them. So we really have to be very honest with ourselves about where we are financially because horses are are really just a pretty significant expense. You know, the joke's always been that acquiring a horse is the least expensive part about getting a horse. You know, so many times I mean, well, I don't want a horse that's that, that expensive. I just want one that 
that'll do this and do that, and I don't want to spend more than 1500 bucks. Well, if they're that concerned about the purchase of a horse, they, they're probably better off without even getting one. Because if they're that concerned about just the 1500 bucks it takes, you're going to spend more than that in a very short period of time just taking care of it. So those are the types of things we've got to think about when we start thinking about when we're ready for a horse. The other thing is, is that we don't talk about much is how's your humility? How do you feel about yourself? Um, because to be honest, if you can't handle humility <laughs> and you can't handle a certain amount of, of, uh, oh, I guess you could say some negative type feedback, then we got to be really careful about getting a horse because they will be more honest with us than sometimes we care to know. They'll let us know really quickly what we know and what we don't know. And they're even quicker to let you know what you don't know more so than they let you know what you know. Um, so you, you, people just have to be very prepared that there's going to be a lot of failures in working with a horse. It's, it's every time you're working with one, it's, the, it's a constant trial and error. And I say that from a professional standpoint. I mean, I've been training horses since I was 12 years of age, but it's always a constant trial and error to get a horse to achieve whatever it is that we want them to achieve. So we, we have to handle that with a certain amount of humility. And, and, if, and if people can't handle that, then it's probably not a good time to purchase yet. Maybe they need to continue to volunteer. Maybe they need to continue to lease. Maybe they need to continue to work with other, other horsemen, other trainers. Another thing I think is real important to consider before you know that you're ready to buy one is, are you willing to take advice from other horsemen and preferably horsemen who are much more experienced and better than experienced are much more knowledgeable than you are. Just because a guy down the road so had tw- horses 25 years doesn't mean that he's knowledgeable. It just means he's had a place to store horses for 25 years. You see, and I run across that all the time. And the very quick analogy I throw out there is, you know what? I've been driving a vehicle since I was nine years of age, but I still don't know how to work on one. You see, I mean, we, we've got to realize just because that guy down the road's had them his whole life doesn't mean he's he's a real good resource for you in learning how to train and learning how to get along with one. That, so really, f- that really is a challenge because there's so much misinformation out there. And I guess echo what you're saying is if you're thinking about buying a horse, make sure you've got a resource available, a person whose knowledge and expertise is trustworthy and not just, you know, the guy down the road, like you were saying, but somebody who really knows what they're talking about and be prepared to listen to what they have to say. Well, let's let's address the the situation with you and I. I mean, if if mm-hmm. if you think about it, you just happened to pick up a horse and rider magazine and you were reading the article and then you looked at the bottom of that uh article and it says article by Van Hargis, Sulphur Springs, Texas. And you living, you know, where you were and all of a sudden you realized, "Oh my goodness, he's just right down the road from me." Yeah. And, and you sought me out. We had a few conversations. Uh, I think the, it started off actually with Mike's wanting his horse uh, ridden. And, yeah, and I with. emailed you after I found that right. because we had a young horse that needed to be trained. And I, you know, we had just moved to the, that part of Texas. And so I, you know, I didn't know where to go to look. And I, like you said, I just happened to see that name. And I was so unfamiliar with Texas. I have to admit, I had to look on a map to see how far, how far away <laughs> Sulphur Springs was from us. But, you know, we, so I sent you an email and we kind of went back and forth. And then Mike and I came out to meet you before right. we made that decision. So in, in one way, I guess you could say horse and rider kind of pre-qualified me. Now, luckily, we were in a position to, to I could bring the horse in and work with it there. Had I not been, you would have probably felt somewhat comfortable with with the fact that 
I'd been pre-qualified by Horse and Rider Magazine, that I could have referred you to another trainer if need be. So that's that's oftentimes how it works is that we kind of, but, but my, I guess our whole point is you just want to really make sure that whomever you're communicating with about your horsemanship and about where you are in your horsemanship journey, seek out the advice and seek out the counsel of qualified horsemen, qualified trainers, qualified owners, even if you will, who can help guide you along the way. Now, just because someone's qualified doesn't mean you're going to get along with them. So I think that's also important. How do you know when you're getting ready to buy a horse? If you're really ready, is it when you also find that support mechanism that that helps you and so that support mechanism that you can get along with? Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, I, I growing up, I had I was surrounded by a lot of really good horsemen. And there were some, though, that I just couldn't be around because they would yell and cuss at me like my, 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 like my stepfather did. Well, I was only going to take that from one person on this earth. And that was just because I had to take it from him. But so I, I wouldn't really want to hang out with those other guys who were that aggressive toward me, I guess you could say. So uh, we, we just want to find those people that, that can truly help us and that we can get along with, um, yeah. because I think that's very important in helping us make good, wise, comfortable decisions about our horses and our horse ownership. So we've talked about um, some of the things to think about, some some approaches to take to getting your eyes opened, I guess, to the realities of horse ownership. We've talked about that you need to be aware that it's there's going to be an investment of both time and money, and the balance of that depends on how you want to do it. Uh, probably depends on what you want, why you want a horse. Do you just want one to hang out in the pasture, or are you actually looking for a certain discipline that you want to ride in or whatever else. What other factors uh, should you be thinking about in making that decision about whether you're ready to own a horse uh, besides whether you've got enough money, which is kind of a threshold thing? One thing that most folks don't think about, Laura, is their physical fitness because you've got to be physically fit. In other words, you've got to be able to get around and and do things to be productive around a horse because there's a, like you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of responsibility of owning one. You got to get up early. You got to go out in the feed and you got to water them. And, uh, you've, you, so you got to ask yourself, do you have the, the physical energy to be able to go do such? And if not, do you have the financial resources to pay somebody to do that for you? Now, with that said though, about, about the physical fitness part, the number of calories <laughs> that you will consume <laughs> by getting off your tail and going out to the barn and doing those chores and then grooming your horse, getting on your horse, riding it, taking care of your tack, putting your horse away. In other words, all of those things are great ways to increase our physical fitness to a certain degree. And so, when you consider so you don't have this, to be, uh, you know, an athlete to get started. No, not at all. But, but you do have to be at least somewhat strong enough to be able to at least pick up a little poop here and there in a feed bucket. Yeah. But no, 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 you don't have to be an athlete. And if anything, it will actually help your athleticism because yeah. it does. It, it it requires you to be pretty darn physically active. So that it is something for us to think about. Do you have the energy? Do you have the physical herewithal to, to be able to, to own a horse? And not just to do all the chores. Sometimes you'll end up with a situation to where a horse might jerk or pull on you when you're leading them. Yeah. Do you have do you have the ability to take that tug? Do you have the physical strength to maybe correct the horse and and bring that big animal's attention back to you? And I'm not talking about being heavy and abusive. I'm just talking about you just got to be somewhat firm sometimes. And uh, and if you're just not quite physically fit to do that, then maybe you need to consider something else and continue to lease or 
or just continue to ride the trainer's horse or whatever. But what I'm saying is that's just something to, for folks to think about, the physical fitness aspect. Well, sure, because even just, uh, you know, if you ride Western, just hefting that saddle onto a horse's back takes some strength. Um, Absolutely. You know, so all those things matter. And I, I mean, I guess as far as, you know, what you were just talking about in the, in just in handling the horse and having the, the, enough strength and whatever to, to, you know, if you've got a horse jerking on you, you also have to have, I don't know what the word is that that I want, but enough courage to stand up to a horse that's wanting to push you around. And I, I, that's not the word I want, but um, to not, to, to be the leader. Well, and actually that's kind of the last point we want to make today. How do you know you're ready to be a horse owner? What are your leadership skills like? What what's your relationship like with your children? What's your relationship like with your dog? What's your relationship like? And the reason I say that, what are your relationships like? Because if you're the type of person that gets kind of pushed around by everybody that's with you, guess what the horse is going to do? The horse is going to push you around too. So you really have to ask yourself, are you that type of personality who can be a leader? Doesn't mean you've got to be crazy, assertive, and mean, or whatever. It just means you have to have good decision-making skills, and you have to be able to stand behind the decision that you make and be as assertive as it takes while also being as gentle as necessary. Because it's so important for you to be a leader, and you practice those those leadership skills when it comes to handling a horse that's going to outweigh you by maybe as much as ten times. So we but- just have to really think about that. You know, and I and I, I was thinking as we were, you know, you were talking that it it sort of sounds like we're trying to talk people out of getting a horse because if you're, you know, if you're maybe not in the best physical shape or if you're kind of timid or all of those things, are we saying that you shouldn't own a horse? And I think the answer is no. The good news is if you're prepared for it, and especially if you can get some good support in in terms of a, you know, someone who trustworthy who can teach you these things. Working with a horse, um, doing all those things, even the, you know, the care of them, the shoveling out the stalls and the hefting the hay bales and doing all those things and learning to develop that relationship with your horse actually can help you, I don't know, become a better person, a stronger person, a more courageous person, less timid, you already said you you know you can become more physically fit because you're you know the work you're doing but you can if if you're the kind of person who has been pushed around your whole life this can be an opportunity to change that absolutely you know Laura and the cool thing is every all of those chores that you just mentioned in my opinion is worth every bit of it because mm-hmm. of the honest feedback you get from that type of a relationship with with a horse i mean i I oftentimes tell a story. Matter of fact, I've got a story written, um, and I think I think the story is available on our website. But it's called, you know, blessings heaven on earth or heaven and earth. But it's a story that I tell about uh, one of my best friends of all time. But it, believe it or not, it was a horse. His name was Nick, and uh, Nick taught me a tremendous amount about being a horseman. He was a kind of a difficult horse to train, but he taught me a lot about being a horseman. He taught me a lot about having the courage to keep fighting and keep working toward what I believed that I could be as a horseman and what and what he could be as a really good horse. But probably the greatest lesson that he taught me, and this is why I do recommend horse ownership to people who have all of those things that we were talking about before, is when um, a few years ago, Nick, as good a friend of me as he was, 
he died tragically on my place. I'm not going to go into all the details about how he died, but he died tragically on my place. And of course, like a lot of people who lose someone that's very, very close to you, you ask the typical grieving questions, one of which was, I was asking, why? Why did this happen? Why, why Nick? Why now? You know, why did, why did this happen? I mean, it's, it's something very common that people who are grieving ask. And it was revealed to me quite some time later, because you see, I had never lost anybody that was really close to me. I'd never lost my, you know, my mom or anybody else. Nobody was really close to me, especially when I was of age old enough to understand it. Well, my grandfather and I were incredibly close my entire time of growing up. And, and uh, matter of fact, the, the horse training facility that I had was very close to my grandfather. He was probably less than 200 yards from, from my horse training facility. So we visited day in and day out. When my granddad passed away, I realized why Nick passed away. It was an opportunity, you see, to prepare me for that situation. You see, when my grandfather passed away, that left me in line to be kind of the man of the household. And because being, being not just a man of the household, but kind of the man in our entire family, our whole family kind of revolved around my grandfather. And all of a sudden he was gone and I'm the, the next oldest male in the family. And I was kind of expected to kind of do all the male things in that deal. But you see, if I would have been trying to deal and cope with the loss of my grandfather, because I would have been asking all those questions, why this and why that. So oftentimes horses, in this case, Nick, taught me a very, very valuable lesson. And it prepared me for another tough time that was just right down the way. Yeah. So to me, I don't care how many stalls I'd have to clean. I don't care how many horses I'd have to groom. I don't care how much tack I'd have to, to, to lift and, and take care of. The lessons that I have learned along the way because of horses, then to me, all of those things are, are very much worth it. I have seen that there is an end to the drudgery, so to speak, of all of those chores because of that rewarding relationship, not just between you and the horse, but that newfound relationship that you can have so deep down inside of you. What sort of relationship do you have with yourself? And those horses will help you find that. They will help you find your strength. They'll help you find your leadership. They'll sure point out your weaknesses, but those weaknesses are good to discover, aren't they? Because if we discover yeah. those weaknesses, we can go to tweaking and working on those and we become better and stronger people because of it. I, I'm sure the dog and cat people say the same thing, but I don't think that there's an animal in this world that gives us enough, or gives us as much honest and true feedback as does the relationship we have with a horse. Because what that horse feeds back to you is an absolute reflection of who you really are. If you don't like it, you're the only one that can change it. So to me, when I think about when, are you really ready to buy a horse? Are you really, really, to, are you really ready to think about all the things that you and I just got through discussing there? Are you really ready to learn about yourself? Are you really ready to learn whether or not you have the energy to, to, to put forth and cleaning and taking care of one and, and all the financial things that go into it? Are you really ready for this horse to give you the feedback that's, that he's going to give you? Because it's going to be honest. Can you handle that? So those are all the things that I think that, that folks should really think about when they consider horse ownership. Yeah, and and I, I think it's so, you know, I, I just wanted to make sure that we didn't end with the the idea that we're trying to talk people out of it. There are you, you got to go into it with open eyes and a realistic assessment of your situation, your capabilities, and all of that. But anything you lack, 
uh, in terms of whether it's, you know, personal qualities or whatever, you can learn, you can develop. And, and certainly my experience, which is not nearly as extensive as yours, has been that, uh, you know, learning those things and doing that work and all of those things help build a confidence that I, I didn't have before. And it, so you're right. It's totally worth it to be shoveling the stalls and, and all the things that go with it. And if you're prepared to go on that journey, to learn who you really are and, and put in the effort to, to grow and let the horse teach you. Absolutely. And, you know, we forgot one more thing, Laura. You got to have a sense of humor because <laughs> if you don't have one now, you will when you have a horse. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very true. Right. Yeah. But I, it's, it's one of those things that I highly recommend. I mean, I, you know, I not, it's not, I know it's not for everybody, but I tell you, it's just amazing the, the journey that you can be on with horses and, and horsemanship and the things that you learn from it. The people that you meet are oftentimes, you know, long lasting oftentimes lifelong relationships. And it's, it's a lot of fun stuff. I, yeah. I, highly, I highly recommend it to folks. Well, and I hope, uh, you know, I, I think you've given us a lot of things to think about. I hope this answers the question for the person who raised it, which is such a great question and pr- probably something we'll talk about more in future episodes. Uh, but if, if folks who are listening have questions that follow up on this, be sure to share them. As always, we say, you know, visit the Van Hargis Horsemanship Facebook page and post a question there. Van will jump in and answer it. You can always email those questions or, you know, suggestions for follow-up that we could maybe go deeper into something that Van touched on in this episode. You can send those uh, via email to info at vanhargis.com. Those questions are welcomed, invited, encouraged, because Van's always looking uh, to make sure that what what he talks about on this show is the information that you need and want for your horsemanship journey. You know, I, I'm trying to avoid this being an hour and a half long episode. So I will say, <laughs> I know you've got tons of stuff going on as this episode comes out. It's the end of March of 2017. You're, you're all over the place from Canada to various parts of Texas and the East Coast all coming up. I encourage listeners to visit the website at vanhargis.com where you're going to find the calendar and you can see where Van is and go visit him and, and shake his hand and tell him in person what you want him to talk about on the podcast. Um, what else, Van? And, well, Laura, we had, a, we had a great question today. So I want to know if I was going to be, I think it was Jonesboro, Arkansas. Hey, Van, are you going to be in Jonesboro, Arkansas? And the answer not that I know of. However, the, 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 <laughs> they, they, the, basically they were just inquiring whether or not we were going to be there to do a clinic. And the answer is if, if, if you look on our schedule on our website and we're not where you'd like for us to be, then inquire about how you can host a clinic in your area. We have some great benefits for folks who host clinics. And uh, we don't always need an indoor facility, although that's very handy just in case the weather turns bad. It keeps us from getting rained out. But if you've got an adequate facility and you've got adequate area for parking for, for the attendees who would be attending the clinic, and you've got some stall space for people who'd want to keep their horses overnight, then probably you're going to qualify for, for the ability to host a clinic, and we really encourage you to contact us and do so. So to the gentleman that asked if we're going to be in Jonesboro, uh, not that we know of, but you know what? You could host a clinic, and we'd be tickled to death to come and be a part of your community uh, for a weekend clinic. Um, and it's yeah. easy information to find on our website. There you go. So, yeah, I mean, if, if I can, I can attest to the fact that working with Van in person in a clinic or, you know, that kind of setting 
is a phenomenal way to advance your horsemanship. And so if you're interested in working with him and you don't see your town or your region on his schedule, check out the website. There's a contact page there, I think, where you can inquire or just shoot an email to info at vanhargis.com to find out what it takes to get Van into your area to so you can work with him in person. You bet. Well, Laura, you know what? It's uh, I, I, I love what I do. It's so much fun. I, I, I appreciate people you know, having us and inviting us into their communities to do the clinics. We appreciate everybody that invites us to go to the horse expos. I love visiting and, and meeting with the people and, uh, and, and the folks who are responding now to our podcast. I'm just tickled to death to have those folks do so. And, and with that, I'd like to just express a heartfelt thank you to everybody for listening and, and uh, a heartfelt thanks to everyone who's hosting us in your backyards to come into the clinics and uh, in the expos. Really appreciate that. But Laura, as usual, as much as we hate to say goodbye, it's time for us to do so. But I'd want people to remember that until next time, this is Van Hargis, and it's your ride, your trail, your journey. So ride every stride. Mm-hmm.